What's up, everyone? Matt here. Welcome to War Machine, a podcast for theological nomads. So what you'll hear in this episode is a talk given by Merlin Sheldrake, son of Rupert Sheldrake. You may know him for his contributions to science having to do with extrasensory perception of dogs and ideas like morphic resonance. He's an interesting guy, uh, a Whiteheadian type. And I guess the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree because Merlin is a biologist working within a process relational framework. And he's been working with Matt Siegel on, well, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but they have some kind of project working together uh, that you'll hear Merlin talk about uh, in a minute. In any case, Merlin is a biologist and author of Entangled Life, How Fungi Make Our Worlds, Change Our Minds, and Shape Our Futures. And I'll link to his bio so you can see what he's up to. Besides being an interesting talk, the reason why I'm sharing this is because I thought it might be a good way to introduce some of the guests we'll be having on in the coming weeks and months. And I guess the through line or common denominators are whitehead and mushrooms and mycelium. I don't know if this is just some kind of philosophical fad or or something more, but yeah, mushrooms just seem to keep popping up. Pun intended. Uh, a few years ago, there was that book, some of you may remember, The Mushroom at the End of the World. I'm drawing a blank on the author's name right now, um, but it was this kind of fascinating anthropological, mycelial, new materialist mashup. Uh, really cool book. And uh, Peter... I'm sure I'm going to say this wrong. You know, I'm not even going to say the middle name. Peter Hughes has been doing some work on Whitehead and psychedelics. Uh, Also, I'm currently in a reading group looking at Sophie Strand's The Flowering Wand, Rewilding the Sacred Masculine. And um, yeah, so it just so happens that we're going to be talking to all of these people in the coming weeks. Matt Segal, Peter Hughes, Sophie Strand, and... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll even have Merlin on at some point, too. Um, I think that could be fun. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that because uh, I just find it a bit strange, and it's the word synchronic, I guess. Special thanks to Andrew Davis from the Center for Process Studies for permission to republish this talk that was recently given at the 50th anniversary conference of the Center for Process Studies. The title of the paper is Mycological Metaphysics. Fungi and Alfred North Whitehead. I'll link to that in the show notes, and you should check out the good work that the Center for Process Studies is doing. We're at warmachinepodcast.com. Here's Merlin Sheldrake. Peace. Well, thank you very much. <clears throat> it's really, really, it's really great to be here. And, um, I love Peter's idea of the uh, metaphysical menu. I wish uh, that those entering their training in the natural sciences were offered a metaphysical menu. <clears throat> I think often of Whitehead's line, um, something along the lines of uh, when scientists say that they don't like metaphysics, what they mean is they don't like their metaphysics being questioned. Uh, metaphysics <laughs> is not an option. Uh, we all must have a ground. Uh, of being. We all have a world view. So I'm going to talk to you today about a collaboration. Um, This is a collaboration between me, playing the part of a fungal biologist, and 
Matt Seagal, who's here in the room, playing the part of a process relational metaphysician. Uh, this is a dipolar project. I'm the biological pole, and that is the metaphysical pole. Um, this is an open-ended uh, conversation. Uh, it is in process. Um, it is very much in exploratory mode, and uh, we don't know where it will go. And if we do this correctly, uh, that will remain the case. So in short, we're wondering whether it might be possible to glean some metaphysical lessons from the study of fungi. And in return, whether fungi might be uh, gateway organisms for a, uh, a return of process relational thinking to the biological sciences. Uh, there is a rich history of process relational thinking in the biological sciences, as we'll all know. Um, I think particularly of the, uh, the real rich period, uh, the Theoretical Biology Club, Waddington, Woodger, uh, Paul Weiss, uh, and others. Um, but it was marginalized by neo-Darwinian neo orthodoxy, and, and uh, I think Matt and I both feel like this is a ripe time for a renewal of process relational thinking within biology. Um, this collaboration is also uh, a symbiotic interaction. Um, I think this is a, a helpful framing. I, I, I study uh, um, ecology. I study the ways that organisms relate to one another. Um, and within uh, the ecological sciences, and particularly when we think about microbial life, it becomes very clear that there's no such thing as an individual. Life is symbiosis all the way down. We contain more microbes than our own cells, without which we couldn't do what we do and be who we are. Um, big bacteria contain smaller bacteria. Uh, bacteria can contain viruses, and uh, large viruses can contain smaller viruses. As many um, process relational biologists have said, uh, that the smallest unit of analysis in the living world is the relationship. Um, in this spirit, we feel that at this time, uh, that Forming symbiotic relationships across disciplines can help us uh, meet many of the pressing challenges that we face. If we look at the history of life, it becomes clear that crisis is a crucible for new symbiotic relationships. Um, and I feel like uh, at this time of uh, many crises that interdisciplinarity is a superpower. Uh, and and with Matt and I are playing a, a small um, experiment here in different ways that that might unfold. Uh, it all began uh, when I attended Matt's um, course on Whitehead at Schumacher College, uh, and I was engrossed. And one day I was walking back <clears throat> from the course, uh, wrestling with some of these ideas, and it struck me in a second, I, I suddenly thought, hang on a sec, um, Whitehead's metaphysical schema sounds rather like a, a multidimensional um, fungal network and growing from many tips um, all connected to one another and um, this realization really helped Whitehead's thinking make sense for me uh, it was a, a powerful moment um, another powerful moment by the way I don't know if any of you have tried this uh, Steve Reich's music for 18 musicians 
if you haven't tried this, and I thoroughly recommend it. For me, it's a soundtrack to Whitehead's metaphysical schema. Uh, if you uh, get into a receptive state and put on your Whiteheadian lens and listen to that piece of music, um, perhaps, you'll, uh, perhaps you'll see something of what I felt from that. Um, strongly recommended. But um, it also became clear to me, <clears throat> not only could, the, could fungal biology help me understand Whitehead, but the Whitehead could help me understand fungal biology. Fungal life is so strange. Um, fungal um, behaviors trick us out of many of the uh, presuppositions that we use to organize our lives, our societies, our uh, economies, our politics, our theologies. Um, they trouble and corrode many of the categories that we often take for granted. Um, individually, individuality, autonomy, uh, intelligence, and, uh, and many others. But fungi are precisely the kind of creature that we would expect to find within a process relational universe. And so armed with this process relational thinking, uh, fungal life stopped being so strange and actually became um, uh, coherent and, uh, and to be uh, expected and, and, and really helped me do my uh, fungal biology. Of course, uh, all life is, is what we'd expect to see with a process relational lens, but I think fungi make it very clear, as I'll go on to say. So fungi are a, um, they are a kingdom of life. This is as broad and busy a category as animals or plants. Uh, but when we think of fungi, we normally think of mushrooms. Uh, but mushrooms are just the reproductive structures of fungi, the place where they produce spores. Most fungi live most of their lives not as mushrooms, but as branching, fusing networks of tubular cells. And these networks are called mycelial networks. Mycelial networks are how fungi feed. Animals uh, tend to find food in the world and put it inside their bodies. Uh, fungi do it the other way around and put their bodies inside their food. Um, mycelial networks are a very effective way to do so. Growing from uh, growing tips, these networks burrow into their surroundings uh, and digest their surroundings, absorb them uh, and shuttle them around their rambling networks of bodies. Um, mycelium is extraordinary stuff. If you teased apart the mycelium uh, in a healthy teaspoon of soil, uh, it would stretch anywhere from 100 meters to 10 kilometers. Uh, mycelium is ecological connective tissue, a living seam by which much of the living world is woven into relation. Fungal mycelium uh, strings itself between plants, um, winds its way between plant cells in their leaves and in their shoots. Um, you'll find fungal mycelium uh, in and around animal bodies, both alive and dead, um, holding together the soil. Uh, take away the mycelium and the soil would wash away, but there wouldn't any, be any soil in the first place because soil is a product of uh, mycelial activity. Um, Alexander von Humboldt had a wonderful line. He described the living world as a net-like entangled fabric. And in my mind, fungal mycelium make this net and fabric real. 
So <clears throat> I want to rehearse the process by which uh, a mycelial network might form. We start with a spore. Um, and a spore would germinate uh, into a single fungal cell. You can see five fungal cells there. They're called hyphae. Um, they are tubular in structure, and they grow from their tips. They grow by getting longer. They prolong themselves. New material is laid down at their tips, and when that material has been laid down, it becomes part of the tube and does no longer grow. Um, the fungal tips are the parts of the fungi that uh, do the most. Uh, they are the parts of the fungi that are the most active. So fungal cells are streams of embodiment guided by their tips. So fungal cells grow out of their relation to their past. Um, but fungal cells, hyphae, they don't stay single for long. Um, they branch and they fuse into the anarchic filigree of mycelium. The growing tips multiply into novel togetherness. In this state, uh, fungi are able to explore their surroundings. Uh, and remember, this is how they feed. This is a kind of appetite in bodily form. Uh, they're seeking, um, we can only presume, in seeking food, ever more intense satisfaction of their appetites. Um, their behavior is really astonishing. If you, um, they, they're, they're maze dwellers. They live in the cluttered obstacle course of the soil. Uh, and people have tested them with little microscopic mazes. And you watch the fungal hypha enter the maze. Um, and it does strange things there. Uh, when presented with a, a forked path, it doesn't have to choose one or the other. It just branches and takes both roots. Um, in doing so, it's able to find, um, after a while, the shortest path between entrance uh, and exit. And, but in watching this behavior, as you watch this video, it's difficult to work out whether this organism is singular, or, uh, you know, one single interconnected network, or is it plural? Is it a multitude of hyphal tips? And of course, it's both. And I think it's both in a very astonishing way. So these are webs of becoming. And uh, mycelial networks reflect the cumulative character of time. Uh, they're, in a sense, portraits of time, cartographical representations of a fungus's recent history. They leave behind them a trail of their past, which enables their present. And they're highly indeterminate. No two mycelial networks are the same. You could take uh, two fragments of a single fungal culture uh, and grow them, uh, and they would form uh, quite different networks depending on where they were growing. They decant themselves into their surroundings. They're sort of inseparable from their surroundings. It's possible to ask what shape mycelium is without also asking where it happens to be growing and with whom it happens to be growing. There's no, no point at which a mycelial network can be said to be fully grown. Um, these are bodies without body plans. So this is a fungus devouring an orange. Look at the intensity of that satisfaction. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's going to start sporulating. There we go. So uh, mycelial networks are sensitive bodies. They are bathed in rich fields of sensory information. They're sensitive to, uh, to light, to any number of chemicals, to uh, acidity, pressure, uh, temperature. And, and they're able to integrate these data streams without a, having a brain to do so. Um, they integrate these data streams at their growing tips. Each growing tip is somehow 
informed by what's going on in every other growing tip. Uh, the growing tips are all connected in a single network, and yet they're making uh, locally suitable decisions uh, based on what's around them and the many possibilities that they face. The growing front of mycelial networks scour instabilities in search of new niches, and indeed they create niches, they create environments. Uh, their decomposition gives rise to soil. Um, they create uh, many different types of environment. Um, they, they create the space in which we live. You know, fungal decomposition of wood. Um, without fungal decomposition of wood, we would be buried kilometers deep uh, in the bodies of animals and plants. So we live and breathe in the space that fungal activity leaves behind, another way that they create uh, environments. And they relate to other organisms in astonishing ways. Uh, closest to my heart are the, uh, the fungi that form symbiotic relationships with plants. Uh, almost all plants depend on fungi that live in and around their roots. Uh, the fungi are expert foragers in the cluttered uh, wild west of the soil. Uh, they can forage for mineral nutrients, which they absorb, uh, transport through their bodies, and exchange with plants. Uh, the plants can give the fungi access to um, energy-containing carbon compounds like sugars uh, and fats that they produced in photosynthesis. Uh, this exchange is prolific. It was only with the help of fungi that the ancestors of plants were able to make it onto the land about 500 million years ago. It's a foundational relationship in the whole terrestrial biosphere, and it continues to this day. And watching it happen is um, quite amazing. A fungus might germinate in the soil. Uh, a plant root uh, is growing in the soil. The plant root releases plumes uh, of volatile chemicals, which act as a lure for the fungus. The fungus grows towards this lure, releasing in turn uh, chemicals which act as a lure to the plant root. Uh, they both change their whole uh, developmental um, procedures. Um, they can influence their, each other's development by producing hormones that act on each other. And they come together in a clasp, a generative clasp uh, that is constantly negotiated between them and rehearses a, uh, a foundational moment uh, in the history of all life. Fun a fungal network, after this relationship is formed, might find itself strung between um, the roots of tens of plants uh, over tens of meters, um, engaged in very different metabolic activities in different parts of its network, engaged in uh, uncountably large numbers of trading decisions with different plant roots in an ongoing uh, processual way. So why bother looking for organic instances of whitehead's schemas? First, Fungi can, I think, um, help to communicate otherwise quite abstract ideas that we find uh, in, in, in Whitehead's thought. Um, they literally ground our discussion. Uh, fungi, are, they create the ground that we walk on, uh, and they are very much, uh, metabolically speaking, uh, the ground of our being. Um, much of the stuff, uh, much of the matter in your body will have passed through a mycorrhizal fungal network on its way to you. So can these fungi help us talk about uh, difficult ideas? Uh, I think so, and they certainly have helped me. Um, but perhaps more than that, uh, could fungal dynamics help illuminate some of the outstanding questions that we find in Whitehead's thought? Uh, could this be a site of experience that might inform metaphysical work? Um, I'm not sure, this is a real question. 
But it's interesting that um, the, earliest, uh, the earliest evidence for mycelium dates from 2.4 billion years ago in the form of fossils, which are puzzling fossils for people because they, they occur long before multicellularity is supposed to have arisen and long before fungi have supposed to have evolved. Uh, but they are, to this date, the earliest gesture towards multicellular life that we have uh, on record. Um, could this tell us something about the nature of reality? And also, perhaps fungi can help generate uh, useful metaphors, metaphors that can do useful work for us, help us to uh, see in new ways, uh, feel in new ways, um, uh, and explore in new ways. So we're excited. Um, we're excited about the ways that fungi might lure us into uh, returning process relational thinking to the biological sciences, uh, displacing a reductive, mechanistic, uh, metaphysical schema that not only struggles to cope with the generative unruliness of the living world, but also renders the universe needlessly dull. Thank you. <laughs>